Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Well, good evening. Welcome to episode 000024 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. As always, I'd like to start off with acknowledging the traditional owners from where I am broadcasting, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'd like to thank uh, Vaughan for another excellent episode of Double Bounce. He always brings the tunes, always brings new vibes, and it's um, a joy to listen to in the afternoon and as I make my way in here every Tuesday. And what a lovely Tuesday it's been in old Melbourne town, or Nam, as the traditional owners, the Wurundjeri people, traditionally call it. We have a busy show lined up for you this evening about two very important issues. Shortly I'll be joined on the line by CEO of the Windamara Aboriginal Corporation, Michael Bell. He's involved in the Criminal Record Discrimination Project. You may remember a couple of weeks ago, at the top of the show, I mentioned Victoria is the only state in Australia that does not have a have spent convictions legislation. So that means that even minor offences from over 10 years ago can still appear on a police check when somebody applies for a job. A person applying for a job who has a criminal record has no protection if an employer decides not to employ them because of their criminal record. Even if the criminal record has no relevance to the job they are applying for, it will not stop them from carrying out their inherent requirements of that role. So, put my money where my mouth is and we'll explore those issues in and around that with Michael in uh, a moment or two. And later in the hour, you'll know that uh, government is fundamentally there to improve the lives of people, right? Well, at least that's what it says on paper. Well, some new research from the Australian National University indicates that the current New Start allowance rate is so low that it's actually killing Indigenous Australians which of course means that there's no prospect in closing the life expectancy gap while the unemployment benefit remains so low. So uh, that's a pretty big statement. So I'll have a yarn with one of the researchers that actually came to that conclusion, Emeritus Professor John Altman. I'll speak with him in the second half of the show. All the easy topics as per usual here on The Mission the best way to get in touch with me is via my Twitter handle, at Mr. DT James. And if you want, it's totally optional, you don't have to, you can use the hashtag TheMissionRRR. But again, of course, no pressure. So turn the lights down and turn the radio way up. This is The Mission on Triple R 102.7 FM. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. You are listening to Triple R. Free Triple R. You're listening to The Mission. Managed to get hold of uh, tonight's first guest. I've got a nasty habit with this show of uh, broadcasting during family time for a lot of busy people. So um, let me introduce our first guest. Michael Bell is a Gundi Jamara man. 
and the CEO of the Windermara Aboriginal Corporation down in Haywood in the southwest of the state. Now, I, I could talk to Michael about a whole range of uh, issues, a whole ma- range of matters this evening, as he has extensive experience working with uh, and across Aboriginal affairs ar- around a range of portfolios, um, as anyone that is a CEO of an Aboriginal corporation does. But tonight, I want to talk to Michael about the Wurradungans, I think I've pronounced that correctly, um, Criminal Record Discrimination Project, which is an Aboriginal-led collaboration between numerous community and legal organisations. So I'm very appreciative that uh, Michael is on the line with us now. Michael, welcome to Triple R. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> no sweat. Um, first of all, tell us what the uh, Criminal Record Discrimination Project is, um, who identified the project, uh, who was involved and how the project came about. Yeah, um, there's, as you mentioned, uh, Warren Duggan. Uh, it's a it's an organisation that um, brings Aboriginal organisations, Aboriginal community control organisations, together with philanthropy philanthropy groups, and um, Windermere is a part of that um, uh, committee. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and through through uh, that we took a, a range of things, like you mentioned, uh, in Aboriginal affairs, and uh, one of the things was us. Well, empowerment, self, self-determination, empowerment, employment. And we're looking at some of the barriers of uh, em- why uh, um, unemployment is a high, is high, you know, is a high percentage in in, the, in our community. And, um, and when we looked at that, because we see that if you're, work, you know, able to work in, a, in an appropriate environment, um, you care for your family and grow your family. And uh, we, um, we identified... Uh, uh, some of the barriers or with our high overrepresentation in the criminal justice system, our, our um, you know, the, the, our past records have impacted on getting uh, jobs. And uh, we looked at that uh, with Warren Duggan. Uh, they were able to bring a, a, a group of uh, researchers together and, and the Aboriginal community organisations together with it. And, um, yeah, we started looking at the issues around a, uh, your, your criminal record. Yeah. So the the project itself seeks to achieve um, the following reforms: the um, introduction of a legislated spent conviction scheme in Victoria, because Victoria is the only state or territory that has, doesn't actually have one at the moment, and it also seeks an amendment to the Equal Opportunity Act 2010 to prohibit discrimination against people with an irrelevant um, criminal record. Yet you had a chance to present to uh, a parliamentary committee which was looking at um, a framework for controlled disclosure of criminal record information uh, for Victoria. What, what sort of things did you present to that, to that committee back in August? Yeah, well, we, we presented our uh, submission, which was around um, some of, you know, inside our submission... Um, well, the Warren Duggan uh, Criminal Records Project uh, com- uh, project uh, submission, we went, you know, done a lot of uh, the research and found a lot of information. Um, things like uh, out of home care, you know, you, if you've got a record, um, you might not be able to care for your grandkids. Right, um, you know, it's part it, of kinship it, care arrangements. Kinship care, and all this it was, uh, you know, when a, we're talking about a person who had a, who applied for a job. And the job got knocked back because they had a, a, a speeding conviction from 10 years ago. Wow. This is where it started from. <laughs> and then and then we, uh, through these researchers uh, who identified Victoria, uh, the only state not to have a uh, legislation, 
Um, we identified uh, you, uh, a lot of Robert Murray's uncle, Larry Walsh's story, who has been in the papers, that, you know, at the age of two when he was taken from his parents as a stolen generation mob, he got, it was recorded as a conviction against a two-year-old. Um, uh, yeah, it was unreal. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be a convener of this uh, committee. And I was, you know, I, what I said to the researchers and the other people and, you know, very talented people around the, uh, the table, I said, uh, this can change Aboriginal people's lives um, by having an appropriate uh, legislation in Victoria, and, um, which is around, you know, self-determination and empowerment. And, yeah, these things started unfolding big uh, that I wasn't aware of. Um, it was all new information to me. And, yeah, some of the basic things, if you had a, you know, um, you know you're working with children and all those type of uh, requirements that are out there, yeah, yeah, we want to make sure this thing, what we're looking at, we want to make sure people are safe and, uh, and appropriate care is given by the appropriate people. But we also know that a lot of uh, people who have an effect, who offend are generally keen to give back to the community, and um, mm-hmm. and that's the that's that's the main, that's what I've found out of my experience with a lot of my mob. Uh, they want to give back, and uh, and they get held back from giving back because of uh, yeah inappropriate legislation, and um, yeah that's where we 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 wanted to go. So uh, we so we presented our submission to the Aboriginal Justice Forum. Right. Uh, you'd be aware of the Aboriginal Justice Agreements that have been around for. The fourth agreement got launched uh, back in October 2018. Mm-hmm. This is after something like 15 years, um, you know, to, to for the state to deliver the fourth Aboriginal Justice Agreement. It just shows that, uh, you know, we've come along, the Justice Department had come a long way uh, in, you know, working with Aboriginal people. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, in that, and this is the experience I've got. I remember when, um, when we started the Aboriginal Justice Agreement 1, thinking, oh, this won't last long. It'll be a bit of a, you know, like many things, good things get put to the side for it, on us. Um, but uh, I like to, you know, agree that the state, both Labor and Liberal, have uh, continued the Aboriginal Justice Agreement in, in a, time. So, in, a way, in a way, the Justice Agreement is kind of like the bedrock now that um, kind of holds the rest of the apparatus of government together and, you know, is one of the main forums for, for dialogue between... Uh, both politicians, senior bureaucrats, and and the community itself. Um, Big time, and that's, and for our submission, uh, in my experience, I, I was a former Rajak chair. Um, yep. I also worked for the department. Regional Aboriginal uh, Justice Advisory Committees, Advisory Rajak. Committee. Yep. 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 That's right. And I I became a, a uh, an executive officer, so I worked for the department in that. No, you know, uh, I really felt that the. Um, uh, my experience as a convener that uh, with the rest of the team, with the submission uh, that we developed, I said, we've got to present that to the Aboriginal Justice Forum. And we did that in December 2017 up in Swan Hill. Mm-hmm. And the forum uh, accepted the uh, our submission. And um, then there was this big lull where not much was happening, a bit to do with the, uh, the, the elections taking place. Uh, and then, uh, yeah... Late, yeah, it might have been earlier this year. Sorry for not giving you the correct time frame. No, you're right. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, the independent um, uh, Fiona. Fiona Patton, MP. Patton, yeah, sorry, apologies there. No, she's the, um, in, this, in this circumstance, in this context, she's the chair of the um, Victorian Parliament's Legal and Social Affairs Committee. 
and that's right. And and she has come in and been a real leader with others, a part of that committee in uh, looking at um, raising the issue around uh, a, uh, some type of legislation. And um, and uh, she was able to bring, you know, come out to Windermara. The committee went out to Windermara there uh, a few months ago and uh, heard submissions from um, our community. And we, you know, we had a young uh, young bloke out that way. Um, you know, not long out of time, done, done a, a significant crime um, and put his hands up for it. And uh, he, in his, uh, I think it's actually in the report, he speaks in, in that report about, um, you know, doing everything he was asked as a prisoner and, uh, and uh, you know, and then, you know, wanting to give back to the community. Um, he, he seems to think, you know, without an appropriate legis- legislative um framework for um you know uh, previous convictions um he seems to think he'll be doing it forever yeah yeah uh, well, one of the yeah. things i like about about the, the project itself the criminal record discrimination project is that it was just the genesis of it was people like yourself leaders in your own community just sitting around and yarning with other members of the community and and just having a few light bulb moments you know, like you said, um, you know, someone being a member of the Stolen Generation and having a criminal record because they were taken when they were two years old, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard to get your head around that sort of thing. Oh, um, especially after hearing, uh, you know, we had the, uh, you know, the, the, the sexual discrimination, you know, the, the uh, Royal Commission into sexual assaults, you know, and, mm. and stuff like that. You know, it, it was really a moment that the Uncle Lowry story, he was at a... Um, a forum developed in the Aboriginal Justice Agreement for a community forum at the Aboriginal Advancement League, and I just happened to be there. And, and the way Uncle Larry speaks, he too deadly, and uh, <laughs> and he was given that yarn, you know. And, and I, I said, "Oh, you you should really have a yarn to this project, the researchers in the project." And so glad he did because he really put a focus on that particular element, you know, how you know his story was, you know, as a two-year-old. He, he believed he never got into trouble, and, you know, the police would say to him, no, you, you've got a conviction, mate, you know, when he was seven or eight. But he said, no, I haven't. And, um, and, you know, he said, yeah, I did get into trouble later on. But, um, uh, you know, uh, it's it was just unreal, that bit of the story coming out. But then you started looking at the kinship care, which we do, you know, that's how, you know, traditions have happened, you know, the family look after family. And there's, there's, a, there's a truckload of research that says... That you know, in, in the vast majority of cases, it's the, the, a kid in out-of-home care is significantly better off if they are staying within with relatives or, or loved ones um, across the family. So you know, for something like this to to potentially um, prevent that is a real issue. Yeah, especially around irrelevance. You know, that's the you know that that was that thing about that speeding thing. It was an irrelevant conviction from. You know, years ago, that person's contributed big to their community, and then not to be able to, you know, hold a job because of something from the, you know, over ten years ago. So uh, that was not simple, but yeah, you know, to to sit on boards, you know, we ask Aboriginal people to sit on boards. Uh, you know, you, if you've got a, you know, potential criminal record, your, your uh, conviction can, um, yeah, eliminate you from that experience. And we know that people who've had lived experience have something to offer. Uh, in in the, uh, to the to the the growth of the communities, yeah, and the 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 
committee has now tabled its report in in Parliament, and you know part of the recommendations is that there's a number of public safety um, exemptions. So, you know, they're not going to budge on criminal record checks for things like working with children and vulnerable people, um, registration with a child screening unit, or um, Victorian Institute of Teaching or accreditation for health professionals. But um, they're going to look at, you know, the a framework for controlled disclosure in those jobs where it isn't um, a relevant issue. They tabled their report back in August, and my understanding is that whenever any parliamentary commit, committee um, tables a report, the government has six months to respond to that report. How confident are you that the government will shift on this issue? Uh, yeah, I reckon uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of great movement within government and um, very confident. It's, uh, I mean, when you start looking at the number of uh, working with children check or police checks that are happening in the state today, some like 700,000 compared to, you know, a few thousand, say, you know, uh, 20 years ago, um, you know, that, that requirement to go through that process has is, is gotten big, you know, it's, it's a it's appropriate. You need strength in it, but you need to have a good legislation. You just can't have a an old policy to um, review people's uh, and release information. There needs to be uh, strengthening in the in the fairness to uh, ensure that everyone's treated in the same manner in the way their speak or previous convictions uh, are assessed and or disclosed, as, as you say. So, um, I, I feel like uh, you know we've had. Um, Great, you know, uh, been involved. The, the government's speaking to us on it. Um, they've uh, they've met with us at, as Warren Duggan uh, a, a couple of times, and then the uh, the, the committee around um, uh, convictions is a, was a, was was great. So there's a lot of interest in it today, and um, yeah, it'd be great to have a, a strong framework. Um, and I notice, you know, it sort of recommends that it be reviewed in four years. So to have a strong framework that is continually um, reviewed uh, will allow us... Because, you know, the young fellows today, the, the types of, um, you know, crimes you can get convictions on today, you know, the technology stuff, uh, video cameras everywhere, um, you, you know, those um, one mad decision that you make um, as a young person, uh, yeah, you, you'll pay for it, but you should be able to, you know, move forward with your life as well. Um, well, we'll... Um... We'll keep our uh, fingers crossed. Um, like I said, it's probably about two or three months off max until we um, hear something from the government. We'll, of course, keep the listeners to this program abreast of those issues as they arise. But Michael Bell from Windamara, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks very much for having me. Thank no worries. All the best, everybody. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. My name is Daniel. Thank you to Michael Bell for his time before. Very important project that we were speaking about. If you want to listen to any of these programs, you can always go to the website, rrr.org.au, and you can listen back to highlighted interviews, but you can also listen to, of course, entire episodes of every program on the grid. Now, in recent times... um, there has been much debate and discussion had about the rate of the New Start allowance, more colloquially, of course, known as the Dole. Most people, including Prime Minister John Howard, believe it is now time to, to raise the rate, which hasn't risen in real terms for over 25 years. 
This, of course, means that people living on Newstart receive an income of 30, 30% or less um, of that of the minimum wage. So what does it actually look like on the ground and in particular within the Aboriginal community where the unemployment rate is much higher? Emeritus Professor John Altman is an economic anthropologist currently with the School of Regulation and Governance at the Australian National University and he's been studying the diverse economic situations of Indigenous Australians since 1977, it says here, John. Um, He, along with Dr Francis Markham from the Centre of Aboriginal Economic Policy Research at the ANU, recently submitted to a Senate Standing Committee on the Adequacy of the New Start Allowance. And I'm very pleased to say that uh, Professor John Altman is on the line with us now. John, welcome to Triple R. Thanks, Daniel. Nice to be with you. The research that you included to the um, Senate Standing Committee found what in particular in terms of the impacts of new start rate on Aboriginal Australians? Well, when you actually sit down and focus on something like the adequacy of new start and, and its equivalent, which is a program, a work for the Dole program in remote and very remote Australia called the Community Development Program, what you find, of course, is that uh, things are much worse for Indigenous Australians um, than for other Australians. That, of course, doesn't mean that New Start's adequate for other Australians, but the rate of unemployment is so much higher for Indigenous people um, that obviously a New Start just condemns people to deep poverty. Just as, a, as an example, you know, in very remote Australia, only three in ten Indigenous adults actually own it, uh, hold a job. And so seven in ten are on, on some form of income support. And as you said, when income support, you know, about $270 a week, um, you know, hasn't uh, increased effect- uh, effectively, um, you know, for um, almost two decades, um, people are just going to get into deeper and deeper poverty. And um, what we found in our research is that, again, in very remote Australia... And more than 50% of Indigenous people live in households that are below the poverty line. And that, that of course, has you know, a reverberating effect on, on people's intergenerational trauma and you know, the prospects of not only current generations but um, future generations. Um, you say in the report that people in remote communities have to do far more onerous version of the Work for the Dole um, program than um, others on New Start. Um, why is it more onerous for people in remote communities? Um, look, that is a, a very good question that we have obviously put to government for on a num- for a number of years now, uh, since the community development program started um, on one July twenty fifteen. Um, basically, uh, the government rationale is because there is no employment in remote Australia. Uh, you may as well put people into work for the dole as if they're in employment. And so what we see is that Indigenous people, you know, are required to work uh, 20 hours per week until recently it was 25 hours per week for 46 weeks in the year. Um, And this is much more onerous than the non-remote program called Job Active, Mm -hmm. where people are required to work for six months a year and, and actually have a grace period of 12 months to look for a job. Now, again, you know, the real issue here um, is that because of these extraordinarily onerous um, requirements um, and the inflexibility of these requirements, uh, what you find is that people are 
much more regularly breached. Uh, so since 1 July 2015, that's just a period of just over four years, we've had over half a million penalties of about uh, $50 a day, 50 to $80 a day imposed on Indigenous people. And what this does is reduce their income even further. So we estimate that um, Indigenous peoples, um, you know, what we call um, de facto or actual income is between 4 to 4.5 and 6% lower than the dole. Um, and so, again, what we find is that given that the living in remote Australia is higher and given that people are actually getting less than their new start entitlement because they're being penalised because of these onerous work requirements, uh, that they're just being more and more deeply impoverished. And this is reflected um, in work that we've done comparing poverty rates uh, between uh, 2006, 2011 and 2016, which are census years. And what we've found is that, in fact, in remote and very remote Australia, uh, poverty rates have gone up. And as I said earlier, for the first time in uh, at least a recorded history since the uh, poverty, the Henderson Poverty Inquiry in the late 1970s, we find a very remote. So, so those penalties that you mentioned before, um, do they accrue over time? Um, look, you can get a serious um, penalty breach, uh, which can see you get no income uh, for eight weeks if you uh, continue to not work, turn up for work for the dole. But, but what we've got to realise here is, is a number of things, but work for the dole basically is just make work. You know, this is not work um, that's going to give you training mm. and result in a job. And, and one of the things, again, um, that we argue is not just that the rate of um, new start isn't adequate, but the actual institution of um, New Start, uh, Job Active, and the Community Development Program is totally inadequate because the government keeps saying that New Start is merely a transitional payment. Yeah. But what you see in in remote Australia is that people are actually on New Start type payments year in year out intergenerationally. Yeah, I wanted to wanted to talk about that a little bit because, like you said, New Start is generally seen as as a um, traditionary arrangement to help people transition back into employment but yeah what you just said your, your research shows that in the case of aboriginal people especially since the grandfathering of the community development employment project scheme um this basically institutionalizes people in, into new start that's right so what you're really doing is is locking people into inadequate payments uh, whereas again historically and and you you're quite right dan you're referring to the a different scheme, which is the Community Development Employment Project Scheme, where, in fact, the equivalent of New Start was provided to communities, but then people could actually go out and earn extra income. So, again, what our research does is go back historically, before the abolition of this uh, other alternate scheme um, and the, introduce, the introduction of these far more draconian um, programs and what we found is that people actually historically were earning more than the dole by $100 per week, but also that uh, the old CDEP scheme, you know, and it's very difficult to, you know, to deal with these acronyms, one's yeah. CDEP, another one's CDP, 
but, but nevertheless, CDEP had 35,000 participants who earned more income but also were able to generate employment through social enterprises, community enterprises and commercial uh, enterprises. So, in a way, you know, government um, has really taken the big stick to people and said, um, you know, the only way that you can earn extra money is to get a job. But the reality is that where people live in remote and very remote Australia, often on Indigenous titled lands, because people have got their land back under land rights and native title laws, um, and, and they live in places that just don't have mainstream labour markets, but they're very strong uh, social justice reasons uh, why people choose to live on their ancestral lands. I'm speaking with Professor John Altman about the impacts of the New START allowance on people in Aboriginal communities, particularly remote Aboriginal communities. Um, is, are the arrangements as they stand at the moment, John, are they killing people? Well, we um, argue that they are killing people, uh, but we're doing this uh, by referring to research that basically decomposes, you know, the reasons why you have a life expectancy gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people in the Northern Territory. And we look at some of the risk factors that people face that will, you know, reduce their life expectancy chances. And and it's argued in this research uh, by... Um, epidemiologists at the Menzies School of Health Research that between a third and a half of the life expectancy gap between Indigenous and other Australians in the Northern Territory uh, can be explained by poverty. So what we're saying is that if more than 50% of your population is living in poverty intergenerationally and facing higher prices for basics like foods, and not getting rent assistance because people in remote Indigenous communities uh, aren't eligible for rent assistance, then it's highly likely that this regime is in fact resulting in people dying prematurely. And of course, you know, we have evidence, increasing evidence, uh, that life expect- the life expectancy gap between Indigenous and other Australians, which is one of the goals of the Commonwealth Government um, to-, to eliminate, mm. is-, is not being met. Um, and, and we also have, you know, the Australian government committed uh, to an international obligation under the Sustainable Devel- Development Goals um, to eliminate poverty by the year 2030. And what we, in fact, find is that the continuation of this New START regime and the Community Development Program is not just resulting in people dying prematurely, but is also likely not to reduce gap and to, in fact, uh, not eradicate poverty by 2030 in what well, is fundamentally a rich nation. So all those factors that you mentioned, you know, come together and, you know, as a, as a, a perfect storm and actually, you know, genuinely and meaningfully impact on not only the quality of people's life, but the length of their lives. Um, the government has rejected calls to raise the start for, you know, um, a long time now, probably merely as a vanity exercise so it can achieve surplus next year. Is, is, is that your reading of it, John? Yeah, well, I think government's very resistant to raising the rate, and, and I really have to emphasise that even if the rate is raised, uh, like we argue, by $100 a week, um, you know, this is really an interim measure. What we need is a fundamental change in institutional arrangements. We need to recognise that where you have no jobs, it's far better to have programs 
like a universal basic income or like the old Community Development Employment Project Scheme, that actually empowers people to pursue, you know, life ways that will improve their life chances uh, rather than have this pretense uh, that somehow, um, you know, being on Start will only be uh, something that's short-term and will then see them transition to full-time employment. This is just a myth um, and, and it's really something that needs to be debunked um, and, and, you know, the government approach um, really beggars belief uh, because it's so counter to its overall goal to close the gap. Well, thanks for uh, putting it on the agenda, John, and um, we'll, we'll um, stay in touch and, and cover this issue as things continue to unfold. But thank you so much for your time this evening. Terrific to talk to you, Daniel, and it surely is, uh, you know, extraordinarily urgent issues that, that I hope your um, listeners are more aware of now. They are. Thank you for your time, John. Cheers. Well, it's that time of the evening again where the mission comes to a close. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I'll be back next Tuesday. I'm off. Say hello to Uncle Charlie. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.